All right, so we're learning Kuf Yud Gimel. So, by Torah law, a person has to be an adult, a competent adult to get married. You can't get married without being a competent adult. But the, the way you saw in the beginning of the parak, we started yesterday, that the Rabbanon legislated marriage for deaf mutes, even though they're considered incompetent halakhically, they don't have a full sense of das, the Rabbanon were still misogyn a marriage for them. They said, you know what, there's enough partial competence here they, they, can, uh, they can affect Hidushin. Whether he's a deaf mute or she's a deaf mute, the Rabbanon were still misogyn that. And we know that the other takon of the Rabbanon is for a minor girl. By Torah law, only a father can marry off, only a father can marry off a daughter, but and he does it with his own das. But mid they said a girl can get married off herself. So that's another takana mid Two different takanas mid with the rabbi's legislated marriage, even though by Torah law there's not marriage. And gener- the, the basic concept here is that the rabbis think marriage is good, and therefore they wanted to encourage it, even when technically the parties may not be, have been able to participate. So now we're going to note, now that we know katana and charesh has both got a, a, a takana of marriage, the Gemara wants to analyze the d- discrepancy between them. katana What's the difference between a minor girl who could eat midrabanan truma? Remember, when you marry a Kohen, so you're allowed to eat truma, right? Even though you're not a Kohen, you marry a Kohen, you could eat truma. So a katana who marries a Kohen, could she eat truma? The answer is yes. She could eat truma that's chayav midrabanan, like vegetables and fruits are only chayav midrabanan, not grains. So fruits and vegetables, she can eat, she can eat truma midrabanan. And uh, the idea is the rabbis made the marriage and the rabbis validate the marriage so she can eat truma drabonim she married a kohen. But a chareshes, we say she can't eat any truma whatsoever. Chareshes can't eat any truma whatsoever including truma drabonim. The rabbis said even though it's a marriage no eating truma. And where do we see this? There's not. We see this in a Mishnah. Rabbi said two things. He said, let's say a deaf new girl and the father married her off. So she was a deaf mute, but her father married her off. So the condition was binding by Torah law. The father, Das, is what affected it. But now, could she get divorced? Which is a fascinating question because she, you, you, by Torah law, you can divorce a woman without her consent. But does she have to know that she's accepting a get? Like at all, she's deaf mute. Like she, she's incompetent. And he testified that he could. She yotze beget. She could leave with a bill of divorce, even though she might not be so aware of what's going on. That was one thing that he said. And then he said a second thing. She needs this coin. If I have a minor girl who married... A daughter of Yisrael who married a Kohen, she could eat truma midrabana. So he made two testimonies. One about the Chareshes, that she could be divorced with the Get. And second of all, the Katana, who marries a Kohen, that she could eat truma midrabana. So like we switched to what we were talking about. The first testimony was about the Chareshes. The second testimony was about the, uh, was, was about, was about the minor eating truma. The Iluah Chareshes, the Akhla. The Gemara is finishing its proof. It's Mashma. The deaf mute woman is not allowed to eat truma, even though the rabbis validate her marriage. Again, it's, a, it's definitely a marriage, but they didn't give her any right to eat truma, even Darbon and truma when she's married to the Kohen. So the Mar is trying to figure out why. Why is that? If it's a marriage, let it be a marriage. Let her eat truma and Darbon. Why not? Says the Gemara, We're concerned that might, might happen that there would be a deaf mute Kohen who, who might marry a deaf mute wife, uh, a, a girl, and they might, he might think he could feed her truma. So, so, and, and it's, it, and it might be even Truma Madaraisa, which they cannot do. So it's like zero that that shouldn't happen. We said that this cannot happen. Says the Gemara, we wouldn't care if a Cherish married a Cherish. why, the Lechel, let them eat. Katon Ochon Novelas. It's just like a minor eating a piece of Novela. So what's the Gemara saying? Gemara saying a fascinating concept. There's a sin in the Torah to eat Novela. You can't eat Novela. If you see a kid eating Novela, do you have to stop him? So it's going to be a Machlokas. We'll learn about tomorrow. But we rule, no. 
You're not allowed to put it, you're not allowed to feed a kid something that's treif, but you don't have to stop him because he doesn't have the punishments in the Torah. He's not yet chayv in the mitzvahs. So a deaf mute people are in the same thing like a child. If you see them sinning, you don't have to stop them. So the Gemara is saying, what's this whole thing? You're concerned that maybe a cherish will marry a chareshis and feed her truma and maybe even truma derisa. If that happens, we don't really care. It doesn't concern us. They're both not chayv in mitzvahs, the cherish and the chareshis. So the Kohen, the Kohen, the Kohen who's not chayv in mitzvahs is feeding his wife who's not chayv in mitzvahs truma that she shouldn't be eating. Okay, big deal. It's not, it doesn't bother us. That's not a thing to make for. So the Gemara answers, but if that would happen there, we're really getting to the thing that bothers us is that a cherish might marry a competent woman. A cherish might marry a competent woman, and the rabbis are going to say, hey, that's a valid marriage, she's a pikachas, though. She's competent. So she does have the isser of eating truma if she's not a coin. So we're concerned that, again, if our case where, where a man married a chareshes and she eats truma, a cherish might marry a chareshes and they, she might eat truma, which might lead, this is all like double, just the way it might lead to um, a, a pikachas marrying a cherish and eating truma in that case. And the Gemara speaks out, a even in that case, she shouldn't technically still be allowed to eat truma and a cherish married a pikachas, that's a valid marriage, she should even in that case at least have rights to eat truma and the answer is, so we're concerned, he's feeding her truma and it starts with the fruits and vegetables, but then it leads to the greens and the wines and oil, which are chayv biblically. So basically, we have a concern at some case where a competent woman marries a cherish, in which case she only would have a right to eat truma she might get in the habit of eating truma, think she could eat truma that's obligated mitaraisa as well, which the rabbis cannot allow her to eat because by Torah law it's not a marriage. And therefore, because we don't want that to happen, what do we say? We say no matter any time a cherish is involved, no eating truma. Even if it's the other way around, even if it's a harashes female who married a male Kohen, we don't let her eat truma. It's fascinating the way the Gemara speaks it out. It's almost like a circuitous saying, because the Gemara is saying, saying like this, a harashes who marries a bikeh can't eat truma. Why? Because a cherish who marries a harashes might eat truma. And why does that bother us? Because a cherish who marries a bikachas might eat truma. The Gemara had to go like that. In other words, because directly it would, they're not comparable. A cheresh to a pikachas is not directly comparable to where it's a charashes to a pikach. We need to like bring in the middle the case of the cheresh and the charashes. So therefore, there's all a decree that she cannot eat truma at all. Now, let's just ask the obvious question. Masha Inkin, a minor who marries, a minor girl who marries a Kohen, she could eat truma drabonan. Why? Why don't we say the same thing? We'll be concerned that maybe a minor will marry an adult and she'll eat truma when she shouldn't. Maybe a minor Kohen will marry an adult and she'll eat truma. Why don't we make the same decree there? You know the answer? Because the rabbis never gave a minor boy Kedushin. A minor girl they were masaking Kedushin for. A minor boy even with Rabbanon, has no validity to his marriage. So we're never concerned that it's going to lead to a case where a katan married a gedola. There is no such case. By a cheresh, the rabbis legislated a deaf-mute female's condition and a deaf-mute male has condition. By the minor, for a girl, they were misakin that she could get married, but only to an adult. There's no such concept as a boy under 13 having condition. Why is that? The answer is because they didn't need to protect them. Well, just wait, wait, wait till you're 13 before you get married. There's nothing to protect. For the girl, we want someone to protect her. So the rabbi were misakin kedushin, but for the boy, they weren't. In the case of yibum, right? There could theoretically be a case of yibum, possibly, but that's not the regular case. That's not the regular cases. Okay, continues the gemara. Another discrepancy. A minor girl that Rabbanu Masak in marriage for. Not only did they say she gets married, she has a ksuba. Ksuba is that you marry a woman, yet, you, yet you're responsible to pay her a tremendous amount of money. 
if the marriage terminates, you have to pay her a lot of, a lot of money. It gives her security in the relationship, so on and so forth. That's exuba. So for a katana, she has exuba. A deaf mute woman does not have exuba. The Gemara is going to prove this point in a second that the fact is true. But first, the Gemara just gets out the question. Why is it that a minor girl has exuba? Haresh does not have exuba. Says the Gemara, Adim Kane, if we would say that there's exuba for a haresh, nobody's going to want to marry her. Basically like this. She's very, very flawed, obviously. She's incompetent. We want somebody to pick her up. We want to make it as easy as possible for someone to be in, enticed, somebody who's going to want to be incentivized to marry her. If you start saying you have to pay exuba if you marry her, all right, then I'll just go for a regular girl. So in order to make it easier to marry her, the rabbi said, whoever marries her won't have to pay exuba. That's the point of the Gemara. Says the Gemara, and Masha'enkin a Katana, let's just speak it out. Katana, it seems that it's easier for people to marry them because eventually they turn into gadolas. Chareshes, there's no end. A deaf mute is a deaf mute. So... Rabbis have to like, you know, motivate people to marry her a little bit more. Says the Gemara, I mean, Ketana, where do we know these fats from? We were just assuming a Ketana has a So the Gemara brings out from a Mishra, a minor girl who did Mion. Mion means you reject your husband, retroactively you were never married. So she does not get a or a Shnia. A Shnia is an Erva, like a rabbinic Erva, like somebody who marries, uh, example, is like a grandmother, right? So you can't marry a, a grandmother. That's a Durabana Erva. Torah says, don't marry a mother. But the Rabbanon, they said even a grandmother. Somebody who marries that, so even though the, the, the Kedushin would take effect if you did it, since it's only the Rabbanon, but again, she doesn't have exuba of an islandess or an islandess, someone who tricked her husband into believing that she, could have, that she was regular, but really she was an islandess. So in all of those three cases, they don't have exuba. It's mashma. If it would be a, 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 if she's a minor girl and she's being divorced, meaning let's say she didn't do me, she's just a minor girl who's going out with a divorce, it's mashma yesh laksuba, she would have aksuba. So the Mishnah emphasized if she didn't mean she retroactively, she was never married there, she doesn't have aksuba, there was never a marriage. But if she was divorced as a minor, it, it, the implication of the Mishnah is that she would have aksuba, so that's where we got our facts from. Continues the Gemara, the Gemara, and where did we see the premise that a Chareshes does not have a Ksuba? Titania, as it says in the price, let's say I have a deaf mute man or a deranged man who married a competent woman, even if somehow the deaf mute regained his hearing and speech, which is very odd, but even if he did, or the deranged person regains sanity, the wives have no claim of Ksuba. Why? Because since they were married to people who at the time they got married, they didn't have das, so their marriage never obligated them in paying iksuba. So even if they somehow regained das, there was no responsibility. However, if after they recover, they want to continue being married, then they have to decide. The woman have iksuba worth a mana. So in other words, then we're going to say, if you want it from now on, on, continue to be married, now you have to be responsible for Aksuba. So this is in the ratio of the bride, so where the man at the time did not have Das when he got married, and then he regained Das in the middle. But what about the opposite? That's our case, where you have a competent man, he's marrying a deaf mute woman or a deranged woman. Even if he wrote her Aksuba document for 100 mana, so now what it means is that he decided, he wrote a ksuba that was worth an exorbitant amount of money, a hundred mana. There the ksuba is valid. If he wrote it, because he wanted to suffer a loss. And the way that we basically say it is, if he wrote it, he wrote it. If he wrote a ksuba when he married the deranged or deaf mute woman, and he wrote whatever he wrote, so then he want to throw your money, you want to flush it down the toilet, you can shred your money, no problem. You want to pay a ksuba to someone you don't have to pay, but if you wrote the document, we'll make you pay. But the point we see is, the only reason he 
has to pay the ksubas because he wanted to. He was at the chuppah, you know, he was marrying this deaf mute girl and he wanted to pay her ksuba. So that's the way the price has set it up. Because he wanted to, he wanted to damage your property, but you have all, you have every right to do that. Hello, Ratzah, but the implication is if you didn't want to, let's say you marry the deaf mute girl and you didn't want to, in law, then she would have no right to the ksuba. And the reason, as why we explained was, if it was a decree that she would have, then there would be a deterrence to marry her and no one would have that. No one would want to marry the deaf mute girl. So in summary, a regular girl, whether or not you want to give her a ksuba or not, you just are obligated. You know, it's an interesting thing. Even if you don't write a ksuba at all, you literally, the rabbi, you know, the rabbi messed up. They forgot to write a ksuba. But the, the basin will obligate the person to pay the ksuba at the end. I mean, you're not allowed to. You're supposed to write the ksuba in order to be with her. But if you didn't, for whatever reason, you're still going to be obligated to pay cash if the marriage would end. But for the Chareshes, we're saying no. If you want to write the ksuba and you write out a document, you have to pay. But otherwise, just naturally, there's no obligation. And the reason is the rabbis didn't want to make a deterrence for the men to marry the deaf mute women. Mashenkin, for the minors, she does have a ksuba. Says the Gemara, why don't we say it the other way around? Let's say I have a cheresh, a deaf mute man who's marrying a competent woman. What we, it's all, we saw in the beginning of the bride so that there's no ksuba either. But says the Gemara, why? We should institute a ksuba for her. No one would want to marry the deaf mute man. Meaning like this. If I have a deaf mute man, he's not so, again, very flawed. You think girls are going to want to marry a deaf mute man? So the, what should the rabbis do? They should say, even though the guy has no das to be, be accountable or be responsible for anything, we should dafka say that she should have a ksuba so that the woman will be incentivized to marry the guy with the flaw who's a deaf mute. The same way we say the deaf mute woman does not have a ksuba so that the regular man will be incentivized to marry her, we should say that a regular competent woman who marries a deaf mute, Dafka should have a ksuba so that she'll be incentivized to marry the deaf mute man. Says the Kamara, fascinating sociological insight. Men don't want to be married as much as women want to be married. Women have a stronger desire to be married than men. Therefore, what? We don't need to incentivize a woman to get married. It's natural. I mean, the Gemara is like saying a shidduch problem ahead of its time. It's amazing. The Gemara is saying naturally women will be okay with marrying flawed men. But for a guy to be okay marrying a, fly, a flawed woman, there we have, to, we have to incentivize them. So for the charashes, we would have this point that we have to make sure that there's no chi of ksuba for the pikeach marrying her because otherwise he's going to be deterred. He's not going to want to marry. Ah, I can get somebody else. Mashain came for the cheresh. When a competent woman is marrying a cheresh, we don't have to be misak and ksuba. We can just say, oh, he has no dots, he has no ksuba because some nice, regular, competent girl will probably still pick him up. Unbelievable concepts. Says the Gemara, who cheresh was once a deaf mute, she was in Ramalkio. It was in Ramalkio's neighborhood. Asve in Ramalkio. Was able, was able to arrange a woman for marriage for this for this cheresh. He wrote a ksuba worth 400 zuzim from the property. Meaning when Malkio arranged a ksuba 400 zuzim. Now technically, he's a cheresh. Technically, he doesn't have to pay. But when Malkio arranged, when he was doing the wedding, that there was a ksuba of 400 zuzim. So Amar Rav, who is so smart? Like Ramalkio, the Gavar He did this because he was a great man. Kasavar, he thought as follows. Listen to the rationale. Imagine the deaf mute wanted to buy a slave. He wanted a slave. Wouldn't we buy it to him with his funds? Meaning, he needs a, uh, some advisor what he should do with his money. He's a cheresh. He he's incompetent. But imagine we saw he could use a slave. 
We'd go purchase for him. We would advise him to make that purchase. It's a smart, wise purchase. Certainly here, when we're acquiring a wife from him, he gets two benefits. He gets marriage and he gets a slave. So look at the way the Gemara looks at this. Look at what he's getting. He picked up a housekeeper. He picked up a cook. He picked up someone to drive him around. He got a pikachas. He's a cherish. Look at we got someone to take care of him. And he got marriage. So of course he should pay. That was what Rabbi Malkiel said. So it's a very interesting thing. So technically, the cherish doesn't have to pay exuba. Because again, the woman will be okay marrying. Even without the exuba, they'll be okay with it. But, but Rabbi Malkiel wrote, when he married off a pikachas to a cherish, he made that cherish pay. He says, look at what you're getting over here. You owe it to her. You owe her that, that security, at least while she's married to you. If you get a slave, well, you wouldn't you pay up? So, so certainly when you get a marriage. Okay. So until now, we've been assuming that cherish has no das. He's incompetent. The rabbis are misogyn a marriage. That's it. Now the Gemara gets a little bit more technical in the complexity here. Amar Avchir Barashi Amar Shmuel. Eish is cherish. Somebody who is married to a cherish. In chayavin aleha asham tali. Somebody who sleeps with her while she is married to the cherish, there is no obligation to bring an ashram tali. What is an ashram tali? An ashram tali is a special carbon that a person brings when there's a doubt if they sinned. So what's the classical case? There are two pieces of meat. One is of forbidden fat and one is of kosher fat. Certain types of fat are permitted, certain types of fats are not. We didn't know which one was which. One of the two was treif, one of them was kosher. Somebody ate a piece of meat, he didn't know what he ate. Does he have to bring a sin offering? He doesn't know that he sinned. He may have sinned. So the Torah says there's a special carbon called Asham Tali, guilt offering that is suspended. It's suspended in terms of whether or not it suspends you from punishment until you find out whether you sinned. So if, if let's say I was a Suffolk, if someone slept with a married woman, he'd have to bring an Asham Tali. Is the wife of a Cherish a Suffolk if she is married? So the Gemara says, no, you're not Chayv in Asham Tali, which kind of makes sense from the outset. It's not a Suffolk if she's married. It's Daraisa, she's not married, and uh, they gave him a marriage. Like, what, what, what is so complicated over here? There's no, there's no Chi of Asham Tali. And the point that we're saying here, and what we're trying to preclude, is that somebody could say otherwise. Somebody could say that what's really going on is that by Torah law, the Cherish is really like, it's like a type of das that we can't determine whether or not it's full. And if that's what would be going on, then his marriage really is a Suffolk marriage on a Daraisa level. If that would be true, then someone who sleeps with the wife might be Chayv and Asham Tali. It's a Suffolk if she's an Asha's ish. But the Gemara is saying is that it's not that way. You're not Chayv and Asham Tali if you sleep with her. Says the Messiah, let's support him. The Mishnah says, five people don't take off Truma. There are five people who have no capacity to take off Truma. And the reason is because they don't have Das. Any of those people who take off Truma, there's nothing binding, no validity. Or someone who takes off Truma from his friend's thing, that has no validity. Or if a guy took off Truma from the produce of Yisrael, even if the Jew consented to it, in all these cases, ain't Truma so Truma. A guy cannot take off Truma, can't take off Truma from your friend's stuff, and you can't take off, and can't take off. So the Mishnah just says unequivocally, a deaf mute Truma is not Truma. So what do I see from here? Clearly, it's not even a doubt, because if it would be a doubt, if his das is a das, if that's what's going on, then we would basically say, we'd have to be concerned that the truma is a truma. We wouldn't be sure, but we'd be doubtful. The mission didn't say it like that. It said, five people's truma is not truma, and one of those five people is the cherish. Clearly, the cherish is just completely incompetent, and we say he has no validity, to, there's no validity to truma, no validity to his marriage, but the either. Says the Gemara, it's not a proof. Who da'amak Rebbe Lazar? May think about Rebbe Lazar. Rebbe Lazar disagrees. The Tanner of Yitzchak Hamashim Rebbe Lazar, Trumas Cherish, the Truma that's made by a Cherish, Lotetze Lechulin, yes, it cannot be considered Chulin, and they shoot Suffolk. 
the status of the deaf mute is actually a suffix. He might be mentally competent and he might not be. So maybe the same way Rebbe Lazar disagrees with that Mishnah, maybe Shmuel was going like Rebbe Lazar, and the actual reality is that the state of mind of the Cherish is a suffix. And uh, that's why we, one would think it's really a suffix by Torah law if his wife is married. And that's why Shmuel had to still say that there's no Chiv Hashem Tali, even if it is a Das. So the Gemara says, well, why is that then? He's like Shmuel, Rabbi Lazar, if Shmuel holds like Rabbi Lazar, that it's a suffix, then Hashem Tali Chayv, then why aren't you Chayv in Hashem Tali? Meaning, wait a second, it just got too good. We just realized that there's a Machlokas Tanam of a Cherish is Das, is a suffix Das or not Das at all? So once you introduce this opinion that it's a Safek Das and that Shmuel might be following that opinion, then why is the reality that you're not Chayv and Hashem Tali? Says the Gemara, deep lumdas. It's not any case of doubt. It's a case of doubt where you ate one of two pieces. What's, what does the Gemara mean? In the case I presented to you, what's the classic Ashram Tali case? There were two pieces of meat, one Asr, one Nahat. So there, when I eat one piece of meat, I don't know if I eat the trafe one, I have to bring an Ashram Tali. But let's say there was one piece of meat and we just didn't know what it was. And I ate it. Do I have to eat up, bring an Ashram Tali? No. Why? What's the difference? Both cases are a doubt. The Territ says, deep lumdas. When you have two pieces of meat, one trafe and one not, you definitely know there was this or there. You just don't know, did I transgress the Yisr? But if there's only one piece, I don't know what it is, it's a doubt if there was ever a presence of Yisr. Now, the reality of the, whether you sinned or not is not any higher or lower. But the lumdas of the fact that there was a vadai presence of Yisr, that's a greater thing to stay away than if you don't know if there is Yisr. It's a little different than Svex Vega. Svex Vega is a double doubt. This is just more, I, it's a different type of a suffix. It's chazik yisura, the language of the Gemara increases. When there's a certain presence of Isser, it's a stronger suffix than when I'm unsure for sure if there was a presence. So what's the Gemara saying? Over here, really, by the, by the married woman to the cheresh, really it is a suffix if she's married. It's a suffix if she's married. It's not, he's not completely incompetent. It's a suffix if his das is das. But there's no two pieces. It's just, she might be married, woman, she might not be. So therefore, Yerachayv and Hashem Tali says the Gemara, but Rabbi Lazar doesn't hold of that. Me by Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar personally doesn't hold that you're only Chayv and Hashem Tali if there's two pieces. Vatanis, it says in the price, Rabbi Lazar, Omer, Koy, Chayv and Hashem Tali. There's something, an animal called a Koy. A Koy, the rabbis cannot identify if it's a wild animal or a domestic animal. And there are many differences in halacha between wild and domestic animals, but one difference is about the forbidden fat. The fats that are forbidden are only from domestic animals. Wild animals, for example, if I have a deer, there's no restriction to eat the fat of a deer. So a koi, the rabbis were not able to identify if it was a wild or domestic animal. Many different speculations about what a koi is, but we don't know exactly, so we just call it a koi. So the rabbi said if you do, that you shouldn't eat it out of doubt. Says Rebbe Lazar, if you do, you're chayv in Asham Why? There's no one of two pieces there. We just don't know if the fat is Asher. Must be Rebbe Lazar holds your chayv Asham even without having one of two pieces. If Shmuel is going like Rebbe Lazar, then you should be chayv Asham for sleeping with the Eish Yisheresh. Says the Gemara, Shmuel, Shmuel agrees with Rebbe Lazar in one aspect. He disagrees with him in the other aspect. He agreed with Rebbe Lazar that a Cherish is a Suffolk, but he disagreed with Rebbe Lazar that to be chayv Asham whether or not you need two pieces. Shmuel holds you need two pieces. So bottom line is, is that we're saying, Shmuel said a statement. Someone who slept with the wife of a Cherish is not chayv Asham Tali. It is a Suffolk to Araisa, because he goes like Rebbe Lazar that a Cherish is a Suffolk to us. You're still not chayv Asham Tali because you require one of two pieces of meat. Now the Gemara says there was a different version. The Yigad Amri, other people presented it differently. There was a different version. Here Shmuel is quoted as saying that for Eishas Cherish, you are obligated in Ashim Tali. 
on that, we said, we had a kasha that the Mishnah said that Truma is not a Truma. Clearly, it's not a doubtful, it's not a doubt if he has Das. The Kamari answered, some of the like Rebbe he holds like Rebbe Lazar, that what? That it is a suffix if the person had Das. And according to this view, Shmuel does not require one of two pieces, and you are Chayv and Ashram Tali. So the only difference between the two versions is whether or not you do require one of two pieces or you don't require one of two pieces. But they remain the same that Shmuel is following Rebbe Lazar, that a Cherish is a suffix Das. So it's a suffix if his wife is a full Asha's ish. Now the Gemara gets more technical. What is the nature of the suffix? What's the gather of this suffix? Is it clear that the deaf mute's mind is weak? It's definitely a weaker das, but we're not sure if that weaker das is considered das, meaning. The guy is like, you know, think about it like percentage. Instead of having 100% competence, you see his mind is like 75%. We're not sure if 75% is enough that it's considered a bardas. That's exactly what we have a suffix in. It's a clear mindset. It always remains constant, but we just don't know how to consider it. But he's always in the same state of mind. Meaning, a cherish is not vacillating between different states of mind. He has one state of mind. We're not sure how to classify that partial competence. Is that the idea? Maybe it's obvious that a deaf mind is weak. And, uh, and, 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 and it's not the case of having something that's clear. It's considered like he sometimes is competent and sometimes incompetent. Meaning what we're saying is, in the second side, is that when he's incompetent, he's incompetent. But we sometimes see that a cherish goes back and forth. It appears at times that he has 100% das, and it appears at times that he's regressing and like, like you know, he has less. That's what's going on. In the first side of the Gemara, he always remains constant with a weaker das. We're not sure how to classify the weaker das. The second side of the Gemara is saying, no, no, no. It seems at times he has flashes of stronger das and flashes of weaker das. And in the moment that he made the Kedushin, you don't know which one he was in. That's the suffix. It's a very big difference. Now, the Gemara says, who cares? And what the Gemara is saying is, either way, when he married the woman, it's a suffix. Either is the same constant partial mind and you don't know if it's valid or he has flashes of strong and flashes of weak and you don't know what he was in the moment he got married. Okay, but either way, the, the woman, his wife, is going to be a suffix if she's married. What's the practical difference? Says the mission. Says the get Whether or not you could divorce her. If it's always the same das, so then whatever he was when he was married, he will be when he was divorced. So what, if that's marriage... If the marriage was binding because that's a good enough das, then that same das can divorce her as well. But if the idea is that he has flashes of different types of das, and we don't know what state of mind he was in when he was married, or then he could make a kedushin but not a gerishin. Why? Because maybe at the time he was makadashir, he had a full das, and at the time he goes to divorce her, he's having some sort of regression. Now, what's interesting about this is that we can't sense it. Like, you would just say, okay, why can't some, I don't know, some... Um, I don't know what word to use. Who's going to be able to analyze the das of a cherish in the moment? I guess maybe that's exactly what the Gemara is saying. There is no one who can do that. But why can't we analyze him and figure out if in the moment he was my God, that she had a flash of das or not? And at the time we want, he goes to make the divorce, is he in a moment of das or not? It seems that we can't determine that. Or like maybe it's, we just know there are flashes, but we to the naked eye here, looking at what is actions, we can't determine what's going on. So the Gemara now says, my, the Gemara doesn't answer. Take it. We leave the question unresolved. So we know it's a suffix kedushin, but we don't know the nature of the suffix. Very interesting lumbus. Is it a constant suffix das, or is it a das that goes back and forth? All right. When we, the Mishnah mentioned the case, now we're going to analyze things we learned in the Mishnah. Nishtatis. 
where a man married a woman, a regular competent woman, binding marriage with Daraisa. She became deranged. Very sad story, she became deranged. The Mishnah said he can't divorce her. So the Gemara clarifies, why is that? Even an insane woman could be divorced. Why not? Even a competent woman, you could divorce her against her will. So you don't need the das of the wife to be divorced. So even if she became deranged, she could get divorced. It's no different than divorcing a woman against her will. Why did the rabbi say she can't be divorced? We don't want the people to treat her immorally after she's divorced. It's almost like it's... It's bait for, for society. It's a bad thing in society to have a deranged woman without anyone to protect her. So therefore, the rabbis wanted her to remain married. So they said that she cannot be divorced against, against her will. Says the what's the case? If she knows how to guard the bill of divorce, she knows how to hold the document and put it away in a safe place. Then presumably she's also going to know how to guard herself from bad people. Then me and going to have her. Are people going to, going, to, going to take advantage of her and treat her immorally? Not. If she can protect herself from it, then she'll protect herself. Must be you're saying she's in such a state of, of mind that she can't guard anything. She can't guard her get and she can't protect herself. But it can't be that such a insan- level of insanity of a woman could be divorced. Why? Even though you don't need das of the woman to be divorced. But what does the Pasuk say? You place the get in her hand. So only a woman who has a hand to accept the divorce can be divorced. What does that mean? That even though you don't need consent, she has to get the fact that she has a get in her hand. If she doesn't know that she has a get in her hand versus, I don't know, like a toy, then, then that's not a woman who can be divorced. The woman is completely deranged. She doesn't have a hand. A different Tana brought it from a different drasha. It says that after she's divorced, he sends her from his house. So only someone who the husband sends her away and she doesn't return, meaning she understands what divorce is. She understands I'm being sent away. Yatsuzu includes a completely deranged woman. You send her away, but she returns. So this is a different angle. Both angles on the drasha show that a completely deranged woman, even by Torah law, cannot be divorced. Yes, it's true, you don't need the woman's das, but she has to be aware that the get is in her hand, and a woman also has to be aware that she, she's not meant to come back once she is divorced. So what's Rabbi Yitzchak's case then? If we're dealing with a level of insanity that the woman doesn't realize bechlal, how to protect herself or protect the get, then even by Torah law, she can't be divorced. Elamai is a smaller level of insanity that she could protect herself and she knows that she's being divorced, but then why is it that the rabbis care for her to be divorced? Like, but not, like well, why would it be a big deal? She could protect herself. So the Gemara explains, She's in the middle. She's a level of das where she can guard her, her get. She knows what a get is. She knows she's being divorced, but she can't protect herself against people trying to take advantage of her. There are people who could take advantage of her in society. So such a shota by Torah law, she could be divorced. She does know how to guard her get. But the rabbi still said she shouldn't be sent out. So people shouldn't treat her immorally. So bottom line is, is that there's actually like different levels of a shota. There's a shota who doesn't know what a get is. She can't be divorced even Midar Aisha. There's a woman who's in the middle who knows how to guard her get but doesn't know how to protect herself there. The rabbi said she cannot be divorced because we're nervous people will take advantage. And then there's a level of a woman who is deranged but she can even protect herself. She knows how to protect herself and such a woman could be divorced and even the rabbis are okay with that. 
Um, so, so, so the Gemara says, We kind of see this from the language of the Mishnah. When the woman's case, what did it say? If she became insane, he cannot divorce. The language wasn't so strong. It just said he should not divorce. But what happened if the husband became insane? Let's say a husband married and then he became insane. There he can't divorce even by Torah law because the man definitely needs das. What did the Mishnah say? He can never divorce her. So when she became deranged, the Mishnah said a very like toned down language. It said he should not. When he became deranged, the Mishnah said he can never divorce. Why the difference? Why by him to say olamas? Where the wife who doesn't say olamas? What's the difference in the language? When the woman became deranged by Torah law, she could be divorced. It's just that the rabbis are saying, please don't. It's not nice to the girl to leave her on the street where people take advantage. But when the guy became deranged, there it's Midar Isa. He can't divorce. He has no das. Therefore, the mission uses a stronger language. Okay. Now we just have to, uh, in order to, to see the next line in the Gemara, we have to remember what happened here. What happened was, is that, is, that, is that the Tanakama was saying if a woman became a deaf mute, the husband can still divorce her. If she became insane, then he cannot divorce her. Whereas he became a deaf mute or insane, he can never divorce her. That's what the, the, the Mishnah was saying. And Rabbi Yochum and Nuri said, I don't understand the difference. Why can a woman who became a deaf mute could be divorced? But if a man became the deaf mute in the middle of marriage, he, he can't divorce his wife. What's the difference between them? To which the Rabbanan responded, what's the obvious difference? Because a woman doesn't need her consent to be divorced and a man needs to have das to divorce his wife. So now we analyze. Which one was he struggling with? When somebody says, why is A different than B? They could want A to be like B or they could want B to be like A. Which way was it? Here, Rabbi Yochaman, Rabbi Yochaman Nuri was saying, what's the difference that a, a girl who became a, shod, became a Arashes could be divorced, but a man who became a Cheresh cannot divorce? He said, what's the difference between those two things? Did he want both of them to be able to be, be divorced or did he want both of them not to be able to be divorced? So he that's the Gemara's question. Did he like the fact that a man who became a deaf mute cannot divorce his wife? That he understood. And he was inquiring, why could a woman become a deaf mute? Why could she be divorced? He was thinking that when the woman became a deaf mute, it should be the same that she can't be divorced. Maybe that was his question. Odoma, the opposite. He very well understood that a woman who became a deaf mute can be divorced because because, because who cares? He was trying to understand why can't a man who became a deaf mute also make a divorce? Which way was it? So first the Gemara tries to prove from language. The language the rabbi says is the man who divorces is not a good comparison to the woman being divorced. Because the woman can be divorced with her consent or without her consent. Whereas the man can divorce only with his consent. So we see from the language that he was trying to understand why the man cannot make a divorce. Why? Because the rabbis would have said, otherwise the woman who's being divorced is not comparable to the man who divorces. Instead, they said the man who is divorcing is not, is not comparable to the woman who is being divorced. So this is total semantics. Like sometimes in language, you just like the Gemara is being so nitpicky, right? What's the Gemara saying? Did he answer the man is not like the woman or the woman is not like the man? So from the fact that he said it that way, that the man is not like the woman, you see he understood the law that the woman who became a Kharaj could be divorced. He was trying to understand why the man who became a Kharaj could not divorce. Says the Gemara, other Rabbah, just the opposite. The language was, the Rabbanan said, Avzu this is also like that. We saw he was inquiring about a woman. Why? Because what, what was the continuation of the Mishnah? The Mishnah continued to talk about a case where a Chareshes was married off by her father. And then we say that she could still be divorced. And the rabbis say, oh, so you see that we're right. What do you mean we see that we're right? Must be you see that we're right, that a woman who does not have Das 
could still be divorced. So you see that that was the subject of the inquiry. Not about the man who doesn't have das, could he divorce? It was the opposite. Everyone understood the man without das cannot divorce. Rabbi Yochanan Nuri was saying, oh, so it should be the same thing when the Haresh doesn't have das. Say the Rabbana, no, a woman is different. And the real, the real subject of the discussion is whether the woman is different or the woman is the same. Fine. So the Gemara now responds and we revise. El was just saying back to the Rabbanan in their own language. He said that just as the deaf mute man cannot make a divorce, so too the deaf mute woman cannot be divorced. In other words, he holds, and now we understand what the real debate is. He holds that even though a woman can be divorced without her consent, she has to be competent. A competent woman can be divorced without her consent. But the same way a man who has no das cannot divorce, a woman who has no das cannot be divorced. According to you, what's the difference between the two? And Amalei, that's what the Rabbanon said. So after all, we, after we finish everything, what's really going on? How do we settle it? We settled it. The Rabbi Yochum and Nuri and the Rabbanon are simply like, kind of like, not understanding each other. Rabbi Yochum and Nuri held that the woman without Das cannot be divorced the same way a man without Das cannot divorce. He's saying to the Rabbanon, if you don't accept that, then what do you hold? Why are you saying there's a difference between them? And the Rabbanon are explaining, we hold that of course you need Das, you need Das for it to be divorced, to, to divorce, that's why a man cannot do it. But the woman does not need to be competent. Okay, very good. So what was the last thing that we said? Achareshes. Right? What are we saying? The, the Rabbanon hold that the woman being divorced doesn't have to be a competent person. So we said, if she turned deaf mute, or if she was deaf mute and her father married her off, she could still be divorced. So Amar Rava, in this testimony, told us, we could infer the following novelty. A man, in, a man said to witnesses, he showed them the divorce. He showed them the get. He said, look, I'm about to go give my wife a get. But then when he goes over to his wife, Amar Law, he said to her, Kinsi shtar Take this shtar chov. He didn't tell her it was a get. He told her it was like a loan document. He lies to her. Then he shows the edim it's a get of divorce, but when he gives it to the wife, he tells her it's a loan document. She's still divorced. Why? Because, in other words, what's the argument somebody can make here? How could she be divorced? She doesn't even know. She doesn't even know anything about the divorce here. He said it was a kinsi shtar but wait a second. We just say that we don't need, not only do we not need the woman's consent, we don't, we don't even need her to be a competent person. So if so, we don't require any level of consent whatsoever. Even though she doesn't even know, she wasn't told she's being divorced, it doesn't matter to us. It doesn't matter. Now, you might be bothered. Didn't we learn before halacha that if, she, if you send her away, but she's going to come back, then it's not a divorce? So isn't here, isn't she going to come back? The answer is she won't because she's going to read the get eventually. She's going to go and look at it and be like, oh my gosh, I was just divorced. I didn't even realize I was divorced. But then she won't come back. Anyways, we're dealing with a competent woman. Just you tricked her in the moment and she has no level of consent. Meaning, not only is it that she's resisting, she doesn't even know in the moment that she's being divorced. That's the chiddush that we're saying that she could still be divorced. Just like an incompetent woman can be divorced, so do a woman who is tricked into believing that it's a loan document can be divorced. But someone completely deranged who might come back, she can't be divorced. That's the difference. Says the Gemara Pshita, yeah, obviously, it's exactly the same. If a, if a Chareshah can be divorced, so a woman who's tricked and received again should also be divorced. Says the Gemara, You might be concerned that when he told the woman this is a loan document, you know what he might be doing? He might be nullifying the get. Now that's an interesting concept. What does it mean to nullify a get? A husband has to want the divorce to to be a divorce. So if he says that I don't want this document to be a get, even if it says the words, I hereby divorce my wife, it's not, it's not a get. 
If he would express that I don't want this to be a get, even if he would then hand it to his wife, it's not a get. So maybe when he said, take this loan document, he has been nullifying the get. And therefore, it's not an issue of she consents. If we have another issue, he nullified the get. Kamash no, that's not what the guy's doing. He said the Baal, if he really wanted to cancel the get, he would have told the witnesses. Since he didn't tell the witnesses, he's not trying to be mavatale. Why is he doing this to his wife? The reason he's saying this to his wife, it's because of his embarrassment. He's embarrassed that he's divorcing her and he can't confess, own up to it face to face, I'm divorcing you. So when he said it to his wife, he said, here, take this loan document and then you'll figure out at home that you really just got divorced. That's why he did it. So ultimately we're saying, of course, if he would actually say, I'm a vatal to get, then the get wouldn't be a get if he gave it. But that's not what's taking place when he gives it to his wife and he says, take this loan document. He's just is embarrassed about the fact that he's divorcing her and that's why he's trying to trick her into realizing it. But the truth is, we don't require the woman's consent. So bottom line is, we'll stop here. But the halacha that we walk away with is that a woman doesn't need, we don't need her consent to be divorced. According to the Rabbanon, which we pass, we don't even need her to be a competent woman. We don't even need her to realize she's being divorced in the moment. If she's completely deranged and she will come back, then if she's at such a level, then it is not a get even by Torah law. Whereas if she knows she's being divorced, just kind of in the middle, she might be on the street. There the rabbis say better not to divorce her, but by Torah law it is a divorce.